Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Appreciate you being here. Man, I have been loving this series out of Proverbs. It's really been a treat for me. It's been a, an awesome uh, treat to hear from the other staff members here at Rockbrook, to hear from Tom and Zach and Andrew and Patrick and, uh, and Ryland. Uh, we got a deep bench around here. And uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, these guys are doing great ministry in their areas of ministry, and it's fun to hear them uh, be able to address the church as a whole. And uh, we love our, love our staff, worship staff, tech, everybody. It's just marvelous around here. And uh, today I'm going to talk to you about uh, parenting, parenting with perseverance. And we're going to be looking at some verses from Proverbs and beyond uh, to discover what the Bible has to say about parenting. Uh, the Bible clearly lays out God's design for the family, uh, the roles for men, women, moms, dads, uh, boys and girls. And God has designed each of us and all of us with a specific role and purpose in mind. And the closer we come to following God's plan, the closer we come to following God's plan, the more successful we will be in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our family roles. And as I've been praying about this message this week, I've been praying that it would be a helpful message. But I have also been impressed with the fact that this is a hard message uh, because uh, parenting can be a very wounding proposition. And so I want to start uh, for you with uh, the concept of making mid-course corrections. And as we go through this material today, you may realize that you have gotten off track. Uh, you may think, you know, I missed the boat somewhere along the way with my kids. And I just want to reassure you that it is never too late to start doing what the Bible says to do. Uh, God says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And notice he says, I will restore to you the years. Uh, you may have struggled in the past as a parent, but if you will begin to apply biblical principles to your family, uh, God will honor that. And one of the joys of my heart as a pastor is to see families healed by the grace of God. And sometimes it is years and years later. But God honors your efforts to live according to his word. And, and the key is to persevere and not give up. Uh, people give up on their marriages. They give up on their kids too soon. But th th this family deal is a long haul process with lots of ups and downs. So hang in there and persevere. So if you've stumbled, don't shut down on me during this message. Uh, you know, just put your shoulders back, lift up your head, and listen to the word of the Lord. And those of you in single, single parent families, I want to encourage you to, to remember that the goal of parenting is to bring our children into a dynamic, powerful relationship with their heavenly father. Earthly parents point kids to their heavenly father. And there may not be a father or a mother in your kid's life fulfilling that responsibility. You may be going it alone. But don't give up. Don't give up. Instead, set your sights on reaching that higher goal. 
And maybe uh, the other earthly parent isn't going to do their part, but that doesn't mean that your child can't be pointed to their heavenly father. Just leapfrog over that failed spouse and point your child to Christ. God has promised a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. So being a parent is hard. It's a tough job. If, if you think parenting is hard, that probably means you're doing it right. Okay? If you think it's easy, pay close attention today. Okay? Because being a parent requires you to be patient, wise, discerning, loving, kind, strong, gentle, disciplined, self-controlled, tireless, and on and on. Being a parent requires you to be everything you are not. Being a parent requires you to be everything that God is. And the good news is, God, you cannot be an effective godly parent if you don't have God in your life. And God doesn't expect you to do this on your own. God expects you to be so broken by this process that you fall on your knees and you call out to him for help. And so with that understanding, I'm going to give you your job description as a parent for the different uh, stages of life that your kids go through. And so your job with infants, your job with infants is to care, comfort, and cuddle. Now that sounds easy because infants are cute. Infants are cute, 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 cute. I mean, they are just, I mean, and I emphasize that because I do not want you to misunderstand this next point. And that is that infants are cute, but they are exhausting. And while your job with infants is to care, comfort, and cuddle, an infant's job is crying, caterwauling, and colic. And many are the parents who look forward to a darling infant only to realize that they have brought into their lives a howling, ravenous insomniac. Okay? So making the decision to have an infant is a huge decision. And you need to be prepared for the exhausting work headed your way. God says in Isaiah, he says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Now the answer to that question is supposed to be no. No, a mother would never forget her baby or be uncompassionate. But the verse goes on. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Underline, though she may forget. The harsh, brutal truth is that sometimes mothers and fathers fail. Parenting an infant is hard. It is a huge responsibility. And tragically, as parents, we don't always measure up. Notice in regards to this job with infants that when God was a baby, his mother had to care, comfort, and cuddle him. In Luke 2, the Christmas story, it says, Mary gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Mary had to care, comfort, and cuddle Jesus as an infant. Even after she'd ridden cross-country on a donkey, been rejected by the innkeeper, and given birth in a dirty stable. She still had to care, comfort, and cuddle an infant. That's why God had her marry Joseph. 
because she needed his help. If all God wanted to do was just to, to bring a human being into this world, he, he wouldn't have needed Joseph. But God wanted to come into a family. This was an unplanned, untimely, inconvenient pregnancy. But Mary and Joseph rose to the occasion and together they made it through. For me, Joseph is one of the unsung heroes of the Bible. Joseph stepped up and married Mary. He even moved his family into a foreign country for years just to protect this baby. And I cannot wait to meet Joseph in heaven and hear his story. And I will meet him in heaven because he cared for, comforted, cuddled baby Jesus who grew up and became my savior. I'm writing a Christmas song. Joseph, did you know? <laughs> Mary and Joseph together. God's design has always been to place a mom and a dad into a family so that as a team, they have the support they need for this exhausting task. And so if you're the father of an infant, you need to be helping your wife care for that child. She needs all the help she can get. Amen? Yes. Amen. That's your job with infants, care, comfort, and cuddle. Your job with a toddler is to turn no into yes, dad, and yes, mom. And the parenting battle is most often won or lost during this phase. Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teachings. Two different aspects here, a father's commands, a mother's teaching. Uh, imagine a family riding in a car, dad and mom in the front seat, three siblings in the back seat. And for some reason, known only to him, one of the kids hasn't buckled up their seat belt. And so mom turns around and she says, honey, we always buckle up in the car because it keeps us safe. So you need to put your seat belt on. The kid doesn't do it. So mom starts again. She says, pull the seat belt over your lap, buckle up and make it click. Kid still doesn't do it. So mom says, I'm buckled up, dad's buckled up, your siblings are buckled up, all God's children are buckled up. You need to buckle up. The kid still doesn't do it. So dad looks into the back seat and says, buckle up. The kid buckles up. <laughs> a mother's teachings, a father's commands. During, during this crucial age, your goal is to teach your children that obedience must be immediate, cheerful, and complete. Immediate, cheerful, and complete. None of those comes naturally to a toddler. It is something you must teach them. Toddlers need to learn to do what you tell them to do immediately. You should not have to tell them repeatedly to do something. They need to learn to do it the first time they're told. Now, if you've harumphed at that concept, uh, then you know this is not an easy condition to get to. It, it's a battle. It's an all-out war. It takes consistent hard work on the part of the parent. But it is crucial that you teach your child to obey immediately. And they need to do it without balking, bargaining, or bellyaching. They need to do it cheerfully. 
not grudgingly with whining or a bad attitude. They do it with a bad attitude. They're not obeying. They are protesting. And they need to do it cheerfully with a smile. They do not have to mean the smile. <laughs> they just need to smile. Learning to do something that you don't want to do cheerfully is a skill that will serve your kid well throughout their life. You need to know how to do distasteful tasks with a smile at school, at work, in your marriage. Okay? Kids need to learn to obey immediately, cheerfully, and completely. Completely. When they're told to put something in the hamper, it needs to go all the way in the hamper. Not an arm or a leg hanging out. A ball kicked toward the toolbox or toy box that doesn't count. An obnoxious noise just made quieter, unacceptable. Amen. When your kids are toddlers, you must teach them that obedience is to be immediate, cheerful, and complete. And if you do this when they are toddlers, it pays great dividends in the years to come. If you don't do it when they are toddlers, the years to come are going to be more difficult. And people have excuses for not disciplining their children. I came from an overly strict home. I, I'm not going to treat my kids like that. Well, you may have come from an overly strict home, but a pendulum swing from being overly strict to no discipline is not the solution. The correction for one error isn't a pendulum swing to more error. The corrector, correction for improper discipline that you received as a child is not an overreaction to not discipline your kids. The correction is the balance of proper biblical discipline. I, I don't want to spend the little time I have with them yelling at them. Well, first of all, you don't have to yell at them. You just need to discipline them. Discipline doesn't have to be loud or harsh in order to be effective. It just has to be consistent. Consistent. So don't let your fear of discipline drive you to make the mistake of not disciplining your kids. In fact, the Bible says, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. Because here's the deal on discipline. Love without discipline leads to unruliness. Undisciplined kids are out of control. Discipline without love leads to anger. Unloved kids are resentful. They're angry. Loving discipline leads to joy and reward. Disciplined kids are happier. And they're a lot more pleasant to be around. You lay the foundation for obedience when your kids are toddlers. You know, it may look cute when a toddler stomps their foot and says no. But you put those words in the mouth of a teenager with car keys, it's not cute anymore. So your job with toddlers is to turn no into yes, dad, yes, mom, so that when they're older they will say Yes, God. Again, it's a battle that needs to be fought together as parents. If you've got one parent who wants to discipline and another parent who wants to be lenient, 
You need to get that worked out. You need to get it worked out and get on the same page. Otherwise, your efforts are going to be ineffective. And don't pendulum swing from one extreme to the other. Find the balance of the truth. For my wife, Katie, and I, with our kids, uh, Dr. James Dobson wrote a book called uh, The Dare to Discipline. And I tell you, it saved our lives as parents. It saved our kids' lives. Uh, I would encourage you. <laughs> you know, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your kids. Okay? <laughs> and, and so I would, uh, seriously, buy it, read it, read it together, read it to your kids, do what it says. Parents, you can do this. You, you just need to learn how. You don't know how to do this stuff automatically any more than your kids know how to do it automatically. So you have to learn how to do it, and then, you, and then you teach it to your kids. Your job with elementary kids is to win their hearts for God. Win their hearts for God. As, as the parent, it is your responsibility to nurture your child spiritually. Deuteronomy 6, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Parents, you commit your heart to the Lord so you can teach your kids to commit their heart. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. It's your job as a parent to win them spiritually and to get them instructed and discipled uh, in Christ. Now, as a church, we're happy to help you in these efforts. That's why we have Rockbrook for Kids, Kids Small Group, Kids Baptism Class. We want to help you as parents discipline your kids. And that's why we invite you, encourage you to work in our children's ministry so we can do this together. But the ultimate responsibility rests with you. Your job with elementary kids is also to protect their purity. Protect their purity. King Solomon instructed his children, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. Parents, you need to protect the purity and innocence of your kids. Now, this was a battle that we used to fight in the teenage years, but Satan and his minions are attacking younger and younger kids. It is during the elementary years that your child decides what kind of person they will be. During the elementary years, a kid decides to be a person who lies or tells the truth, cheats or is honest, steals or is a person of integrity, will be a bully or be kind to others, obedient or rebellious, a leader or a follower, sexually active or morally pure. It's in the elementary school that your child's moral compass is set. And at this age, you need to win your child's heart for God and you need to protect their purity. And this, this is a serious issue, and sadly, it is becoming a tremendous battle. Because our culture, from the top down, government, corporations, big tech, social media, Hollywood, video games, movies, music, everything is grooming your kids to steal their purity and their innocence. 
And parents, you need to be paying attention. Why do these evil forces attack younger and younger kids? When is it easier to shape concrete? When it's wet or when it's set? Elementary kids are wet cement. Now you can shape cement when it's dry, but it's much more difficult. You can shape wet cement with your hands. You shape dry cement with hammers, chisels, saws, and grinders. Why not do it when it's easy? Capture your kids' hearts for Christ and protect their purity. Your job with teens is purpose, participation, and pacing. Purpose, participation, and pacing. At the start of Proverbs, Solomon lays out the purpose of the Proverbs. And it's really the purpose of the Word of God. Look at these verses. Their purpose, the Word of God, is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So the purpose of the Word of God is to teach people, to help them understand, to give insight, knowledge, and discernment. The purpose of the Word of God is to teach people wisdom, discipline, insights of the wise, how to live disciplined and successful lives, to do what is right, just, and fair, to give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment. Read this last phrase with me. To the young. To the young. I'll hear parents of teenagers say, they just have to learn from their own mistakes. They just have to learn from their own mistakes. The only place where that is acceptable in our minds is in raising teenagers. We don't accept that theory in any other area of life. Do employers hire employees and just turn them loose with equipment and say, you'll just have to learn from your own mistakes? Do you want a surgeon who is learning from his own mistakes? Do you want an accountant handling your money and doing your taxes, learning from his own mistakes? Do you want somebody to cut your hair who is learning from their own mistakes? Do you want a teen riding with another teen who is learning to drive through their own mistakes? Why do we subject our teenagers to learning through their own mistakes? When we do that, we are abdicating the primary role of a parent with teenagers. Now, how do you fulfill the purpose of teaching wisdom, knowledge, and discernment? You do it through participation. Participation. Underneath that one, write time and touch, attention and affection. Time and touch, attention and affection are the keys to participation. Teenagers act like they don't want to be around you. They act like they don't want to be seen with you. And God forbid that you should hug or kiss them. Do not be fooled by this act. In reality, they crave your attention and affection, even as they are pushing you away. A, a good friend of mine, one of my parenting mentors, he and his wife have successfully raised four kids. They're empty nesters now. They've got a bunch of grandkids and even great-grandkids. 
And when their youngest son was a sophomore in high school, his wife came to him and said, you are losing that boy. And at first he was incensed that she would say, you are losing that boy. Because after all, he'd successfully raised their two oldest sons. She had successfully raised their daughter. The idea that he would lose this boy was foreign to him. But he got down off his high horse and he realized she was right. I said, what did you do to correct it? He said, I took him to the hardware store. I took him to the lumber yard. I took him to the grocery store. I took him to the bank. I took him everywhere I went. We just spent time together. And it worked. And his son is now married, has kids of his own, and he told his dad years later that that, that was a crucial turning point in his life. And it was his dad spending time with him that made the difference and won him back. Time and touch, attention and affection. In Proverbs, Solomon talks about the importance of learning wisdom, the importance of learning how to walk the walk, and it isn't learned through making your own mistakes. It is taught to you by someone older and wiser, by a parent. An often repeated phrase in Proverbs is, listen, my son, listen, my daughter, listen, my child. How does your kid know the right way to treat other people? By watching you do it. How does your kid know how to be fair with other people? By watching you do it. How does your kid know how to use knowledge and discernment? By watching you do it. How does your kid learn how to live a successful life? By watching you do it. Or you can just send him out there and let him learn from his own mistakes. You can let her stumble her way through without any instructions. Sending kids out there to learn from their own mistakes fills them with anger, fear, regrets, and it robs them of their confidence. It ultimately makes them angry. It makes them angry at you. It makes them angry at God. You need to participate in your teen's life. Because your time and attention, uh, your, your touch and affection builds their confidence and it teaches them how to live. Third P in this process is pacing. Pacing. Teenagers are in a hurry to grow up. They're in a hurry to do things they are not ready to do. They want to drive, they want to date, they want to go, 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 and do, do, do before they're ready. They want to do all this stuff before their brains and hormones are fully developed. The human brain is not fully developed until you're 25 years old. The hormones, your hormones don't settle down until your mid-20s, if ever. Your job as a parent is to be a stabilizing influence through these turbulent years. You are the pace setter. You are the pace car. You are the governor on the throttle. You teach your kids that patience is a virtue. Some things are worth waiting for. You don't have to do everything as soon as you can. You don't have to do everything you feel like doing. You learn to control your emotions. You don't let your emotions control you. And yes, you may need to take a cold shower or have a good cry, but you don't make major life decisions or engage in adult activities before you're ready for them. Give yourself time and space to grow into your emotions. 
And parents can get caught up in this frantic pace and the drama of the teenage years. And we have conversations with them that they aren't ready to have. We push them to make decisions they don't need to make. We get them into relationships they shouldn't be in. We let them go. We even encourage them to go. When we need to be saying, pace yourself. Teenagers live in the moment. They live in the now. They need someone to teach them how to live for a lifetime. They need someone to teach them how to live for eternity. And that someone is you. But you can't teach them how if you don't know how to do it yourself. Are you living a life at a Christ-like pace? Are you living life for a lifetime? Are you living life with eternity's values in view? Parents, discover your purpose. Help your kids discover theirs. Participate in life together and pace yourself. Your job with your adult children is to encourage, comfort, and urge. Uh, the goal of parenting is to raise godly children who mature move out, meet other godly children, and mate. <laughs> Genesis 2.24 For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Notice the word leave. <laughs> Leaving home is a crucial concept in a child's development. You mature, you move out, you meet and mate. And notice it says a man will leave his father and mother. That implies a level of maturity. You don't get to cut them loose when they're 16 just because they have a car and a job. Okay, kid, go learn from your own mistakes. You do that, they'll be back when they're 30. Your responsibility as a parent is to help them grow into adulthood. Look what Paul says fathers do with their own children. 1 Thessalonians 2. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, comforting, urging. Your adult children need to be encouraged. They need to be built up. They need to be affirmed. They need to be complimented and applauded when they do something right. Don't critique and criticize everything they do because they don't do it the way you did it. Instead, build them up through encouragement. There may be times when you need to comfort them. They may move into difficult times that you experienced in your marriage. Or they may be face some of the same struggles that you faced as a parent. And a comforting word from someone who's been there helps them stay the course. Now, the word urge sheds a little light on the other two, because Paul says that a father, a parent, urges his children. To urge means to implore, to challenge, to inspire, to give a charge to. And that word puts a little perspective on encouraging and, and comforting. Encouraging is not the same as enabling. It's one thing to encourage your adult children when life gets hard. It's quite another to enable their poor decisions and mistakes. Comforting your adult children is not the same as covering for them. Comforting doesn't mean that you're a cash cow that funds their irresponsibility. 
Urging means you take a pretty hard stand in pushing them to further maturity. Paul says we need to live a life worthy of the calling of God. And so if your adult children are living disobedient, rebellious, godless, unproductive lives, you as a parent have a responsibility not to enable or cover for them. You have a responsibility to tell them to knock it off. And now's the time when you let them learn from their own mistakes. Parenting is hard work. It's hard work all the way through. But God promises to guide and direct and empower through the whole process. I think it's fascinating that as we see these things that God calls us to do as parents, these are the same things that God does for us as our Heavenly Father. And maybe it's time for you to make some assessments, make some mid-course corrections, and start bringing your actions in line with God's plan for parents. And then watch him honor your efforts with success. You can do this. Let's pray together. Maybe you've realized today you've been off track. You've, you've made some mistakes or missteps as a parent. Don't beat yourself up. Pick yourself up. Ask God for help and start making the necessary corrections. God, you are our Father. We are your children. Christ is our brother. And the church is our family. And Father, you offer to do for us all the things you call us to do as parents for our children. And so we look to you for care, comfort, even cuddling. Turn our nose into yes, God. Warm our hearts toward Christ and protect our purity and innocence. Teach us our purpose. We welcome your participation in our lives and help us to pace ourselves. God, thank you that you encourage comfort and urge us to live a life worthy of the calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.